The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello there, welcome to the show. Brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. Dan here, along with Michael from The Square Ball and Phil Hay from The Athletic. Ahead of Javi Gracia's press conference this week, if you want to read Phil's stuff on The Athletic, theathletic.com forward slash leads pods is our sign-up address. Discount on there. Have a look. Theathletic.com forward slash leads pod. Phil, we should start on Tyler Adams, I guess. We suffered on our podcast this week the curse of talking about the US call-ups and that all three of the American players will be playing for the US men's national team. And then it's going to be coming out after the announcement that Tyler Adams is injured and will be out of Wolves and presumably for maybe a game or two after that. So so where are we with that? What has happened? It was the plan. You saw that Aronson and McKenney were both in the squad and the plan was for Adams to be in the squad as well. And the, the briefing was given in the States with the embargoed release of the, the US national squad on Wednesday that Adams wouldn't be in it um, and that you know further questions about that should be directed to Leeds. And the answer when we, we went to Leeds was that he had suffered what they said was a, a small hamstring strain, wouldn't be fit for Wolves this weekend, wouldn't be fit enough to go away with the USA who've got Nations League games over there against Granada and El Salvador. Quite a lot of travelling actually to be done for the, the US guys who are in the squad. But Adams won't be part of it. He'll stay behind. They will try as best they can, I think, to get him fit for the other side of the international break. But it isn't totally clear at this stage how serious it is. I think the indication was that it's not particularly or or not a a huge concern, but clearly enough to keep him out of the weekend and and to stop him heading over the water. But unfortunate, not great timing, not somebody Leeds want to be losing at all, I think will, without a doubt, have changed Javi Gracia's plans for the weekend. I don't think there's any question that you know, of him having considered leaving Adams out of that game at Molyneux, I think Adams would have started it in the midfield. He's he's going to have to shuffle that up. And it does feel like just the extension of two seasons in which injuries have been absolutely relentless. And, and every time you feel as if you've got players coming back, somebody else kind of steps away. So in the last sort of week or so, we've had Rodrigo returning, we've had Sinistera returning. Advantageous without a doubt to have them available up front, but then you lose somebody in a different area who... Yeah, it's not that they can't afford to lose Adams. It's not that they don't have other midfielders, but they would not want to be losing him at the moment. And I, I always felt that he would probably be as big a player as anybody through the running if, if Leeds were to stay up. Of those three words, small hamstring strain, the word small is doing a lot of heavy lifting there, isn't it? There's a lot of hope baked into that one particular word because I hear hamstring strain and I think, six weeks, oh God. Well, this is it. Oh, and, oh and weeks, they, not, weeks, not months, Phil. Weeks, not months. Yeah. Weeks, week not months as Simon Grayson goes for the, the title in India as we speak the thing about hamstring strains is that they, they vary massively so you get different grades different severities of them at the worst that you can be looking at, at months to recover at best you can turn around fairly quickly from them so it will depend entirely on how severe the, the tear or the strain is I don't expect when we see Gracia later that he'll necessarily give us a whole lot of clarity on that or, or, or a huge amount of detail about when he expects Adams to be back but, you know, time is ticking now. The games are counting down. Leeds are in 19th. He's not somebody who, he's not somebody they can do without for any length of time, I don't think. So I think the club will be quietly hoping that two weeks of recuperation, as opposed to heading to the States to play in two friendlies, will give him the time he needs to, I guess, have a chance for the, the Arsenal game um, on the other side of the gap. But it will depend entirely on how he develops, how his rehabilitation goes. And you know, first of all, before any of that, they have a game at Wolves, which really, it feels like they, they need to win. Do you think that Tyler Adams 
we would have suffered more from this loss under Jesse Marsh than we may do under Javi Gracia. Um, and that's you know, it's not a comment on anything Tyler Adams has done, good or bad, just his style of play and how it fits with the respective styles of play of both Marsh and then Gracia. Gracia seems a little bit more controlled. It's not the all-action tearing about the play stuff. It's not, but I feel like he's still probably our most consistent midfielder and he's still crucial in winning the ball back in midfield. So I am fairly worried, I have to say. I think the arrival of McKenney helps enormously because it was it was one of those things that when he came in in January, he thought, well, do we 100% need him? But then this happens and you think, yes, you need a decent squad of players because, as you said, at this point last year, we were with no midfield, essentially, um, and, and really struggling. So it would probably also have been nice to have Matt Click still at this point as a bit of extra backup for midfield, but that ship has sailed. I never really felt that Click was suited to that kind of role anyway, the deeper role. Whenever he played there, there were, there were the odd was the odd game where where he would excel and, and look good, but most of the time when you watch Click slightly more withdrawn um, and, and playing in a deeper midfield position, he looked like somebody who wanted to be playing further up the field and, and influencing um, the attacking play more. These three midfielders, McKenney, Adams and Rocket, they are kind of different in their own ways. McKenney seems to fall, I think, between Rocket and Adams in that with Adams, you get a lot of disruption from him. That is very much his game, the ball winning, the tackling, the, the kind of combative side of things in, in that area. With McKenney, I think he can do a bit of both, probably not as combative as Adams, and not as good on the ball or as good with his distribution as, as Rocker. And then Rocker looks to the naked eye and, and I think from the stats as well, like a, a ball player, you know, passer, somebody who tries to direct play. And I think we'd like that to be part of his game and, and very much part of his role in the team. So there is variety there. I just feel that, like Michael says, I, I think Adams will be missed for however long he's out. And I just feel with him that particularly in these circumstances and, and in this scenario where if you're not desperate for points, you're starting to get very close to the point where you would be desperate for points. His attitude and his style and I guess his ability to scrap from start to finish could be pretty crucial. And if you lose that, then it takes something away from the starting lineup. It takes something away from the range of options that um, that Javi Gracia has. They do have Daco Jaby in the background as well. Maybe this will bring him to the fore because it's a long time now since we've seen Adam Forshaw and quite where he is with his fitness. I'm honestly not entirely sure at the moment. Last time he was spoken about, I think it was when Marsh was talking about the little hip procedure I think he'd, he'd had, um, hip or groin, and wasn't expected to be out for any length of time, but you know hasn't hasn't featured since, and, and I don't think he's featured since um, the, the turn of the year. So that would seem at the moment to be the, the options, really. Um, McKenny, Rocker, JB behind them, I would assume, unless Gracia switches up the, the formation, Molyneux that it will be a pairing of Rocky and McKenney in there and actually will be quite interesting to have a look at that because it's, it's, you know I still think there is at the moment a bit of a debate about what is the best midfield you know what is Grassi's best midfield what is the best pairing in there Archie Gray has reappeared as well in recent weeks uh, on the bench is, is he fully fit do we know? He certainly seems to be fit enough to be included and going back to pre-season now and, and also the 21s games that he's featured in has looked massively talented when we've seen him but it's a big ask, isn't it? In the same way as it's, a, I mean, an even bigger ask, I think, than it is for, for JB. JB, uh, Gray doesn't seem to struggle physically. I don't think that's a, an issue for him, but he is extremely young. JB is by no means old, you know, still really in the formative years of, of his career, but has a bit more behind him. I think would probably be more suited to, to dropping straight in. But I certainly think in Gracia's head, when it comes to the midfield he would ideally like to work with, 
it would want to be a rotation of Rocker, Adams and McKenney because they are your experienced players. Uh, what do you think of the shape of, of Leeds United's midfield now? And thinking back with reference to what Michael just said there, like, you know, going back a year or maybe slightly longer, it felt like we had uh, Calvin Phillips or nothing and then he was injured and we were, it was a, a sticking plaster type options, wasn't it, in, in midfield frequently. What about the, the current midfield options then? And, and how do you think they fit together as the pieces of a jigsaw? Like, in my mind, McKenney is more of a number eight and yes. Adams is slightly more withdrawn. I've seen him described as a number six before. In my head, I think number six is Chris White and a centre-half. Um, uh, yeah. But putting all that to one side, uh, sort of a more deep-lying midfielder, Adams in my mind. Where, where does Rocker fit? Is he somewhere betwixt and between? I feel a bit like McKenney is maybe a sort of eight-stroke ten in the way that Cleek was, if you know what I mean. Probably more of an eight, but with that ability to create and to to attack and, and to, to pull the strings in that part of the pitch. Rocker, I would say... Again, slightly deeper role, but advanced in the sense that I don't think he'd be one to play as deep as, say, Phillips did or, or as you, you think Adams might. Adams almost feels like he has aspects to his game defensively that would lend themselves to the sort of position that Phillips used to play. You know, that really, really deep line midfield role. The difference is that I think, certainly from what I've seen, I think Phillips had a much better and accurate range, more accurate range of passing than Adams does. And I don't think... Adams would necessarily have been suited to... I think he'd have been fine doing the, the graft that Phillips did in there. But I think the the long diagonals and those searching balls that Phillips used to produce to, to set leads going in attack would have been more of a challenge for him. It feels as if, actually, you have a, a kind of good blend there and a good mix of, of skills and, and attributes. When it comes to how the midfield should set up, it, it feels as if, to, in order to play all three of them, unless you're playing a three across the middle and... Grassi hasn't really looked inclined to do that yet. And I guess you would have to see it in the flesh to know whether or not it could work. If you're not doing that and you're kind of sticking with a midfield two, it seems to me that Rocker and Adams with McKinney in front of them is the way to go if you want to get all three of them on the pitch. But perhaps it was quite telling last weekend against Brighton. And maybe, you know, I suppose you have to factor in the way Brighton play and, and the need for a specific tactical plan to negate them. But it was maybe quite telling that actually in that game, with all of those options available, Gracia chose to go with two rather than three. You know, it wasn't a case of let's get all of these guys on the pitch, even though you've got, you know, somebody who's been at Bayern Munich, somebody who's been at Leipzig, the Bundesliga, somebody who's been at um, Juventus as well. Even though you've got that, it, his feeling was still, I'll play two of them and mix it up with other players. What have you made of Rocker so far? Because it feels like we've not seen the best of him, which... I- I almost look at the, the transfer business we did over summer and he seems like a bit of an outlier because he's he strikes me as very much not a Red Bull player and then that's yeah. the style of football we've played all year. He's in both the lack of space he's had to work with himself and the lack of space he has to pass to. Everything being jammed up the middle at 100 miles an hour seems completely wrong for him. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. And you're probably right. He does seem to be the least sort of Red Bull, high-press, frenetic style footballer that, that's in that team. I think having watched some of what he did at Espanyol in particular. He was at Bayern Munich but didn't play a massive amount so it's a little bit difficult to draw conclusions from the spell there and you always have to bear in mind how dominant Bayern are. Looking at him at Espanyol, I think time and space to pick passes was exactly what he was looking for and, and exactly what he wanted and perhaps in time, Gracia's football might suit him more than Jesse Marsh's did. I don't feel... I don't feel as if Rocker has had a poor season, but I don't feel as if he's had a, a great season either. And I do feel from time to time when I look at him that he's still trying to find out where he should fit here. You know, he's still trying to find out what he should be and 
and how he can make things work best. I do think there's a good footballer there. His passing stats are really impressive when it comes to progressing the ball up the pitch. You know, that is one of his big strengths and it's clearly what he tries to do. And I sort of feel as if with him and the team, without wanting to build the team around him 100%, you almost need to create a framework that lets his strengths come out. Otherwise, what's the point? I think that would that would be best for him. So there are aspects of him that I like, definitely. But it's been one of those seasons, hasn't it, where it's been really difficult for anybody to look good. Yeah, I was going to say. Difficult for anybody to shine. Nobody's you know? shot at all, have they? It's been no, so st- stressful. It's, it, Rodrigo's had his best year, ironically, given how difficult the year's been. Nonto is totally above criticism in my eyes. I, I just don't think he's really done a lot wrong at all. And he's done a, a lot incredibly well since he's, he's got into the team. But otherwise, even guys like Adams, I, I don't feel you'd look at Adams and say, it's been a poor season from Tyler Adams. But it hasn't been exemplary, has it? And it definitely hasn't gone as anybody wanted it to go. It feels like the whole thing just needs a great big reset to get to the end of the season. We were saying, no, this season just needs to die. Get to the summer and hit the big red reset button. I think the frustration about that is that that's exactly what was being said last season as well, wasn't it? And it felt as if there were lessons, quite obvious lessons to be learned from Bielsa's last year one of which was addressed in the sense that the squad was too small and they have made, you know, they have increased the size of it. They have increased the the availability and the number of what you would call kind of proven or fairly proven first team footballers. There's more available to Gracia now and there was more available to Marsh, um, certainly towards the end, than there was to Bielsa in his last season. But they haven't hit the sweet spot when it comes to finding signings that work. I think this season they will... You know, looking back on this season, they'll they should I feel regret the choice of coach that they made after Bielsa. I think they should regret the length of time that they let it go on, and it's hard to argue against the the feeling that the team just never fell into place. Did it? That system and that strategy, Marsh's tactical plan, it just didn't happen. It didn't happen, and it and in the end, it just did not look like it was going to happen. That piece on the Athletic that's run this week actually about changing managers, yeah, suggests that you reach a point after which it makes no difference, not a blind bit of difference, because you see like Patrick Vieira's under a lot of pressure at Palace and they yeah. lost last night to to Brighton, just can't, you know, they couldn't hit a cow's ass with a banjo at the minute, could they? And there is suggest, some suggestion anyway that he's in danger of losing his job, but this this is sort of suggesting this article that that would be a bad thing to happen at this point of view from, from, their, from well, their point of view. Actually, Palace might be slightly different in the respect that they're 12th in the table, they have what you think of as a fairly minor cushion over the bottom three. It's it's only three points. What tends to happen with managers at this time of year, and actually Leeds left it very late as well um, with, with Gracia, but we were analysing this from March onwards, so March, April, May. You almost never get, or in very few cases, does the league position change in a positive sense from the day when you sack a head coach to the, the end of the season. So there are a few um, a few examples that are contrary to that. One being when Kevin Keegan left Manchester City uh, in 2005, Stuart Pearce took over, they moved up four places. But aside from that, the best you've had is an improvement of of one position. And this goes back all the way to the start of the, the Premier League era. And in most cases, the clubs either stand still or they go backwards. So what you tend to find is that a relegation-threatened club are 19th when they sack a coach and then finish 19th at the end of the season. Or the 20th when they sack a coach, finish 20th. One thing that, that did jump out of that list and made me think was Peter Reid at Leeds because 
Reed came in with Leeds in 15th and finished um, with Leeds in 15th. And that was seen as a big success. And the reason, or a success, and the reason it was seen as a success was because it was falling apart under Venables. There was real concern at the club that, that they were going backwards, that they were going to slide, that they were going to go down. They got rid of Venables, they brought Reed in, and actually they didn't need to improve on 15th place. 15th place was fine because it kept them up. And that's the same with Palace. If Palace were to sack Vieira, bring in somebody else and not move in the division, then it doesn't matter. You know, they stay 12th and they retain the status. They're, they're in the Premier League next season. It's a bigger problem, really, for the sides who are further down the league. Although in this instance, Palace and 12th are by no means safe. And it's so tight this year that it is really tighter than it has ever been before. You know, the nine clubs at the bottom separated by five points. You have to go back to 2011 to find really the only time when it was this close, this late in the season. And on that occasion, Wigan were 20th at one point, I think beginning of April, managed to finish 16th because it was so congested and so close. And on the last day, at one point, Birmingham were going down with 40 points on goal scored. They conceded right in late in injury time to Spurs because they were going for broke, trying to, to win that game. But it's also the last time that Wolves stayed up, or anybody stayed up with 40, and that was Wolves, needed 40 to stay up. But yeah, at one point, Birmingham had 40 points and, and we're, we're going to go down. So yeah, it, it's, it's a difficult toss-up. I think Palace might say to themselves, if we bring somebody else in, they'll stabilise us and we might stick around. But history does show really clearly that if you're in trouble at this stage, changing manager is probably not going to help. And and there's an obvious reason for that. And that is because in the same way that good teams don't become bad teams overnight, bad teams don't tend to become good teams overnight either. I feel like Palace have nowhere to go either because they've already they feel like they've already run through all the relegation specialists over the years. They've already had a little stint with um, Hodgson and Pulis, haven't they? Has Allardyce done a bit there? I feel like he should have done if he hasn't. They're so late in the season that they'd almost have to caretaker at this point, unless they knew 100% who it was that they wanted to take the job and then carry on into next season. You know, Leeds in the sort of Iriola mould, that type of thing. Because you've, you've got, you know, so few games to go that you would be saying to somebody, if you were appointing them as an interim coach, look, you might have this for two months and then you're, you're off. And it doesn't give you a great choice people to, to pick from. But it's also, as Leeds found, it's the worst time of year to be trying to find somebody. It really is because you, you, you're pretty much firefighting. And it's hard to tell how secure Palace feel because that's the odd thing about the table. You look at them and you think, well, they're all right, aren't they? You know, you'd normally swap positions with them. But I didn't look at the stats from last night that defeated Brighton. But prior to that, it was no shots on target in three games. They haven't won since December the 31st. They're probably drifting more than any of the nine teams who are, who are in this battle. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. There in part one, Phil, you touched on the relegation battle. We, uh, we headed towards that one. We should probably talk about those, those games that happened last night Southampton losing at home to uh, to Brentford and then Palace losing at Brighton it's funny isn't it what you were saying like they're 12th in the table and you remember back to the start of the season when Radrazani was talking about the the target for this season and he said it was somewhere in the 10th to 14th bracket now if you were offered to be in 12th place at this time of the season right back in August you'd have snapped somebody's hand off wouldn't you you'd have gone yeah look at that that'd be great and now you look at Palace in 12th on 27 points as you say three points 
above Bournemouth, who are in 18th. It's not looking good, is it, for, for 12th position downwards? It's not at all. And it would only have taken a draw at Southampton last night for that to cut down to four points as the difference between nine clubs. And my feeling looking at it, Everton have definitely had a bit of an upturn with Daesh. And I think we mentioned on Monday that, you know, the points per game under Gracia so far would have Leeds heading for 39. I think he probably hasn't had enough games for that to be a particularly scientific start. But, you know, it started well enough, or at least has, has got points on the board relatively quickly. I would imagine that Wolves probably feel happiest of anybody in that bunch at the moment and, and leads away to Wolves this weekend. Because since they changed head coach and, and got rid of Bruno Lage, they've been moving at 1.5 points per game. And given that they've had, you know, the games are into double figures since that point, it's a much bigger sample size. And it suggests that they're, without being out of it and without being in particularly great shape, that they do have a little bit of momentum or consistent impetus that doesn't seem to exist elsewhere. But it's funny you mentioning the Radrazani's comment of want to finish to between 10th and 14th because there's a massive difference between 10th and 14th. You, you think of it as a you know, middle section of the table where there's going to be probably quite a small spread of points between the clubs. But actually, you've got Chelsea on 37 and 10th. Down in 14th, you've got Nottingham Forest on 26. And directly below Villa in 11th, you know, there's a, an eight-point gap there between them and Palace. So actually, finishing 10th this season is going to be completely different to finishing 13th or 14th, even though you know, the table will be quite bunched up. And, and you, you'll look as if you've been you know, in, at, at close quarters with a side like Chelsea. You actually won't have been. There's, there's almost the, the trick to having a good season certainly this year, is to be outside the, top, the bottom nine. Are you at that stage now where you're, you're looking for things to, to cling to? Not necessarily desperately at this stage, but I'm thinking, right, well, Gracia has got us organised. He's managed to put together a fairly consistent back five. Uh, has been the same for just about every game, hasn't it, so far? Our goal difference is better than a number of the teams around us. Could that come into play towards the end of the season? I meant to have a look, and I haven't had a look at the last time a team went down on goal difference. When did it happen? Does it ever happen? Mm, good really? question. It's funny because every every season we all talk about goal difference, and I do it the same as you know as anybody else. It was spoken about a lot in last season with Bielsa about how bad the goal difference was because of the, the number of goals that they were conceding. My my gut feeling is that it doesn't often come down to that as being the margin. Um, it sort of plays on people's minds, but in the end, it can be it can be fairly fairly irrelevant. I felt like going through the nine clubs. You could make an argument for each of them staying up and you could make an argument for each of them going down. Even Southampton at the bottom, they lost to, to Brentford last night, but they've you know they've done okay under Sellers. They've, they've started to pick up a few points. You have things like Wolves, who I was saying are moving at 1.5 points per game, but they've got Leeds this weekend and then they've got Forest on the other side of the international break. And you sort of feel if there's a moment where they're going to get into trouble, this is probably it. You know, if it goes if that goes badly for them. West Ham have got a lot of six-pointers. I think they play five of the bottom nine before the end of the season, which on the one hand looks like a good thing, but on the other is heavy, heavy pressure week after week or, you know, every every second week. And then you've got Leeds, you know, they, they I think have improved tactically under Gracia. have taken four points under him so far, but are still 19th and actually have gone backwards in terms of league position since Marsh was sacked and you know all the way through Everton's run coming up is pretty grim they don't have 
much in the way of goal scorers, don't have anything like what they need in the way of, of goal scorers. And Forrest's away record is unbelievably bad. One win, four goals scored all season. Yeah, it's... Leeds, I, I, Leeds can fix it from Phil. I would, ch- I would challenge anybody <laughs> to um, to call this at the moment. It's funny, you know, Phil, you're saying there about um, Wolves perhaps being in the, the happiest position. Over on our show this week, I went diving into the Wolves comments. You know, you do the Q&A yes. before a game and after a game, so a bit of pre-match and post-match chat on The Athletic. I did the same on the Wolves games and they're not in any way shape or form any more relaxed than we are at all it's all, no, be, all the same anxieties be, and the fact that they can't score because, we, we'll how, because how, how can you be in, yeah. in this situation I think probably internally Wolves might be the most confident of the sides down at, at, at that end of the table but I'm kind of splitting hairs because I don't think anybody at the moment will be sitting saying yeah we're fine and we're, we're going to be okay just having a look at the league table from last year it was it was all over the place because of cancelled games but between with 25 to 28 games played Leicester were 12 points clear of relegation in um, in 12th place at this point. So it was, it's a completely different shape to the table. And even with 10 games left, it was pretty much the bottom five, wasn't it, fighting out? It was other yeah. than Everton and Burnley were, were scrapping it out. Whereas I think it probably does benefit us to have a load of teams in the mix this year. And it just ups the, I guess, the stress level. If you can feel people, someone breathing down your neck, it definitely makes it a lot more difficult to play games, I think. It also means you don't need to panic too much before the end of the season um, if you're trusting your abilities to deliver. And everyone's under tremendous pressure, aren't they? I mean, you can see it. You can see it. And you saw it. It was. I think, all, I think, it, I think if you're trusting your ability um, is, the, is a, bit, a big if, though. There, no, but I mean, like in the sense that like that moment at, against Brighton at Ellen Road on Saturday when the groans started because Leeds weren't pressing from the front, it just manifests itself in this kind of... This anxiety seeps into it, doesn't it? But, I mean, the players on the training ground you would imagine have belief in themselves to get out of this is what I mean. Yeah, I think what you're talking about is if you, you know, you're going up the 18th and you need a perfect drive down the fairway, that's when you deliver, isn't it? When pressure's properly on. Trust your swing, as Howard Wilkinson said. Absolutely, trust your swing. How many of these sides you rely on to swing in the right way at the right hole, so to speak, (laughs) (laughs) when when it really matters? I, I don't know because... So few of them have, have shown any form or, or any momentum at any point through the season. And I think it probably does play psychologically and, and probably makes this fight more intense and makes it worse. The fact that there are so many teams in it, because even clubs who should be sitting fairly comfortably or fairly p- pretty on the basis of league position won't be feeling any sense of comfort at all. I mean, I spoke to somebody yesterday who said to me, I, I don't think Palace are actually in a, a huge amount of trouble. I think Palace are a very short distance away from being in massive trouble. They might be okay because, as everybody keeps saying, win a couple of games and you bounce up the table. The problem is never nobody ever wins a couple of games back-to-back at, down at that level. And worth saying, Phil, at this point, sorry to jump in, I was just going to say, they are, when you take that cut off from 12th downwards, um, Palace downwards, they've won six games, we've won five, and it's the fewest in the division, but one more win puts you right back in among it, doesn't it? Well, I'm sad to say the bottom of the form table since the World Cup are Leeds, Leicester and Palace. They're the three, which I think won't come as a huge surprise to anybody who follows Leeds, probably won't come as a huge surprise to anybody who follows Leicester. But I think it does give some context to where Palace actually are in form terms as opposed to where they are in the table. You know, they're, they're the best placed of, of these, ninth, uh, these nine sides who are down there. But I'm not sure at the moment there's any club who'll be more concerned about where and when they're going to get their next win. I mean, again, I mentioned this on our show this week, but it wasn't to you two. It was to uh, to Rob and Moscow White. So I can bring it up to you again. The odds, according to uh, 
you know, oh, not your not the your website. Five thirty-eight. I said I wasn't going to mention it again. But, oh, um, I love this website. It's like that stat Dan made up last season. You know the one about if you win. I didn't make that up. That, that, get... <laughs> Phil Hay, that was Opta, who, who and, and it, it was this season because we had the eight points after five games. It was, ah, is that right? Was yeah. it this one? Yeah, it was, an, it was an Opta laughing. stat, but I did caveat it by it's saying. Looking, it's looking good, isn't well, it? Yeah, it's say, looking good. If there's one, one side that can buck the trend and, and fall into the tiny percentage, it's Leeds United. But yeah, 538, they, they run simulations, tens of thousands of simulations of the season to form their final judgment and they've got us finishing 2019, 18, 17, 16th. What is their track record? Uh, I mean, they predicted Hillary Clinton to be... Uh, well, the thing is, Phil, <laughs> they update it every week. So... Uh, it's is this not, like that supercomputer? It's, which, um, <laughs> it's kind of no track record at you, all. If you lose games, it suggests that you might be more likely to go well, down. actually, yeah. of the nine clubs, they've got they've got Palace as the, the outliers with a 10% chance of going down. At the other end, Southampton, 71% chance of going down. But the spread of points between those sides is five. It goes to show you how important a win is in the Premier League, at, at very least. We are, for what it's worth, we're middle of the road. You've got all the teams below us, Bournemouth, uh, Forest and Everton. This is their predicted final table uh, beneath us. All 44, 48, 45%. The bookmakers do have it in, in similar yeah. well, uh, the, territory the, as the, well. The bonus, the bonus for Palace is that for as long as clubs below them can't catch up, then they stay clear, don't they? That's that's the benefit. So a league table on, works, on isn't it? It absolutely is. <laughs> so nobody's going to be predicting that they're going down, or, or very few people will, for as long as it, it sits like this. But they haven't won since December the 31st. And Vieira's under big trouble. They didn't have a fit goalkeeper last night. They cannot score goals. They've evidently been struggling to get shots on target. If we were here talking about, like, if Palace were the club we were covering, what would we be oh, saying? Oh, I'd be thinking we were down. Yeah, I'm yeah, thinking well, the I thought, momentum has disappeared completely. You'd be saying that if they were four. <laughs> <laughs> There's no potential to change it at this stage of the season. We've left it far too late. I'd be thinking I, that's, that's the thing. If you if you go around any group of fans in from Palace down, everyone thinks they've got a decent chance of going down. Yeah, because like, I've, I've been listening to West Ham fans for for our show for a few weeks, and every single week they say, "Ah, oh, we're down. It's too late. It's too late. We should have we should have made the change sooner with Moyes." It's, this is the funny thing about it, isn't it? There's nobody throwing stones at other clubs in this. Everybody's just been, you know, it's kind of like looking internally, going, "Oh dear, <laughs> yeah. we are in. It does make <laughs> we are very, really deep in this. It does make fans very, very introspective. Yeah, which is a good thing actually, because football doesn't have enough of that. I mm. don't think, and. It has to be said that if you're sitting at the moment saying, oh, I think we'll be fine, you're pretty deluded, aren't you? Because it could... I, I I would stick my neck out and say the one club out of that, who out of this bunch, who I don't think will go is Wolves. I think yeah, Wolves same. will have enough. And I feel as if Palace might, in the end, benefit from just that little bit of breathing space on the basis that surely they're not going to fail to win another game before the end of the season. You know, it it, it might come around for them. But I'm really not sure. Just looking at the shape of this table and this this nine clubs being involved, half the division being in peril, the title has actually been a two-horse race for once. Is the Premier League any good? Uh, it's, it's difficult, but it, is it actually any good it, as a product? Doesn't it make it a good competition, that? That you don't have... Are you enjoying it? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that you, you don't have, at this stage with 10 games to go or whatever, 11, 12... You don't have, say, five, six clubs who have nothing going on and are just there to sort of cause a nuisance. It's surely better that at the moment that, I mean, there's nobody... If Villa, Villa are not going to do anything, are they? Villa are going to finish... They're going to stay in the league. They're going to finish probably 11th, looking at it now. They're not going to get into Europe. They're not going to get relegated. That, that'll that be that. Chelsea still have it in them to 
get into Europe. Brentford and Fulham are close enough to do it. Brighton are there. Top six, um, sixth place is still up for grabs. Title still up for grabs. It's wide open. And I suppose if you want a league which is not dead and done by Easter, then this is the one. You think in Scotland there, Phil? Yes. <laughs> Every year. How hard's getting on this year, by the way? I'm in the process of writing about Romanoff at Hearts, which was um, which is going to be very enlightening, I think. Stories about him swimming Loch Ness today, which it reminded me of Chilino, if that's fair to say. <laughs> I was shocked to see the league table in Italy the other day. I think Napoli is something like 18, 20 points clear or something at the top of that. It looks Miles very, clear. It looks very yeah. one-horse race. It's uh, unusual. It's nice to have a change, isn't it, though? For... Well, obviously, Juventus have completely bombed there for various reasons yeah. um, and don't look like they'll be racing back. Really, sad, really sad to see that. There's yeah, such, it is, such a great it, bunch of lads. Cheers <laughs> across the globe. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Premier League would look a lot more interesting, actually, if the rest of the... Um, European Super League teams had buggered off at that stage. I would have, yeah, I would have preferred that. I think in the long run, as much as I was at the time a bit gutted to think, oh, we've been waiting for years to play Liverpool and Scum again and Arsenal and all this, but oh, let, let them go. I'm sick of it. <laughs> but I mean, is it a good league? I think it probably is. Arsenal and City are very, very good teams this season. I think well clear of the rest. We talked about how impressed we were with Brighton on Saturday, um, just seeing something different and. Actually, a, you know, again, a, a project that works. And I think a lot of people were kind of, a lot of people who don't like Leeds were kind of fairly magnanimous when it was going really well under Bielsa and saying, look, it's hard not to admire the fact that it's, you know, it, it's coming together there. And and I, I mean, I don't dislike Brighton, but I, I have, you know, no dog in that fight at all. But again, hard not to appreciate what they're doing there and to think actually it's a good thing to see clubs going like that. And, you know, never a, a bad thing when, certain clubs go off the boil a bit so Liverpool and Chelsea and, and others get in the mix it's a different season this one but nothing kind of accentuates how different it is than the bottom of the ta- you know, bottom end of the table and mm. say it again Southampton get a point last night and it's it's four points between nine clubs which is which is unheard of exciting for the neutral yes mm. I think the Premier League probably is good mainly just because there's so much money in it so even so even the likes of just to pick on a, a couple of I guess smaller end teams down there like Bournemouth can spend probably as much money as AC Milan these days or something for example because of because of just how much TV money they're getting which does mean it's every squad has got a decent number of good players it's, in it. it's very competitive in the sense that it's, it's quite even even the worst teams can on their day get something I don't know. I, mean, I think maybe it's just a it's a general falling out of love with it, and it's never as good as it, you know it was when you were you were growing up. Do you think, I think, do you think that's because Leeds are poor? Do you think it makes it yeah, harder to if, if Leeds it? if Leeds are good and playing good football, it would mitigate everything. Of course, it would. But I, I just struggle when you take all that away, though. Yeah, I struggle with the concept of like the the standard of VAR referee. I mean, we've complained about referees since time immemorial. I appreciate that, but they never seem to have featured quite so heavily in the outcomes and and, and have so much emphasis placed on what they do in terms of the outcomes of matches is, is that social media is that TV and scrutiny it's TV I think yeah. it's just every game is a TV game isn't it so, yeah. and every game is VAR so every decision gets looked at and, and I guess yeah, in the sense it, that yeah if like George Courtney for example in the 90s or whatever made a, a bad error then you kind of you moaned about it you swore at him and then it was gone by the time the papers had come out wasn't it it, it was yeah. often not clear cut I mean we were watching games back from the, the title winning season and sometimes you'd get a single angle that didn't even you'd go well he's probably offside there because but the camera didn't pan to it in time yeah. so you, oh, you, oh well I'm not you, sure so I'll you just, just go 
Ah, I'll just get on with my day. Whatever. <laughs> maybe, maybe it comes down to a question for individuals of how much analysis is too much. You know, how much do you, and that doesn't just apply to refereeing decisions and things that you can analyze through replays and everything else, but, you know, statistics and tactical analysis. Everybody these days tends to like a bit of it, but or a lot of it, but it is to degrees, isn't it? Some people are so into it, it's all they talk about, all they think about. When I wrote about Rennie Maric, the assistant who went from Leeds with, with Marsh, I was chatting to some of the guys he worked with at um, Spielvelagerun, which is the, the German tactical website uh, where he, he first Easy started writing. Say. Well, no, that's the thing. That's why I, that's why I, try, I try not to. And they... They, the, the reason that started was because they are just obsessed with tactics, you know, and it's just their passion and they're, they're really into it. And, and, you know, good for them. Plenty of other people more in the middle ground where they like some of it, but, you know, it can tire them. Some people don't like any of that at all. And that's, that's probably the thing. If, if, you, if you want to see refereeing decisions poured over constantly, then fill your boots because there's loads of it now. It's discussed everywhere. You have columnists in newspapers who do that on a Monday. You have a Demi Gallagher on Sky, you know, you have endless amounts of replays. If it becomes tedious from time to time, then it is going to bore you because it is out there and it's, you know, it's it's kind of relentless. I mean, even the, you'll, you'll have seen that the Harrison on goal against Brighton has now been given to Sully Marsh, which I have to say, I, I still think it's a Harrison on goal that, but I mean, whatever, that's how it's, um, how it's been awarded. But then there was the question straight away of, well, if that's gone to Marsh going through the, the back of him, isn't it a foul? And you just think, oh, he can get stuck in these wormholes indefinitely. Yeah. You know, he can. It's the least interesting bit of the game, isn't it? Essentially, the, yeah. the decisions. But it's, it's and yeah, it's it so takes, influential. I was going to say, and it takes off a, a disproportionate amount of time. But actually, during the game now, because they end up checking stuff for so long. It's, but yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's become so prominent, hasn't it, with VAR? Yeah, you're right there. Yeah, absolutely. I, think and, I, and, but, I, I hear but, people say the same about transfers. You know that transfers dominate too much of the talk around football at the expense of more interesting things, you know, like more interesting stories about players or clubs or, or what's being done. The addiction to invest, spend, everything else sort of overrides the other things that people could be paying attention to, which is people's prerogative. You know, that's that's it's up to you to, to decide what interests you in the game. But there are points where the, the where transfer stuff just seems to be absolutely everywhere and absolutely endless mm. um, and not always for the better. It's, it's just an arms race, isn't it? Because of all the money that's sloshing around. But I was going to say, like on the officiating, just to go back to what Michael was saying there, and not only the, the the emphasis and the amount of time that's spent on it, it's the consequences of the decisions that they make, I think, that, that bother me. And that kind of taps into the the rolling around and the simulation and the holding of the head and all that sort of stuff that, you know, people get their feet stood on now because they're wearing these the paper-thin boots. And I just, you look at it and you think, get up. Yeah. Just get, I, I hate that side of it. And then you then think, that, well, you sounded old. There. No, no, but, it's, but then is then there's somebody sat in, in Stockley Park, for example, and pouring over this from five different angles, super slow mo, looking for something to, to, to give. Looking at the forensic detail and then, of, of then, everything. And then, and it just, just highlights saying, inconsistencies more, doesn't it? Yeah. I think, and, then, the and then you get a yellow card or a second yellow card, which leads to a red. And then suddenly you've got 10 against 11, and you know, the stakes are so high. And that, that's kind of my grievance with it is that there's that. I, just that, I, that, that I, over, I always. I always just, you, d- you did start saying like your dad there. Um, yeah. And if you go on about alien moon well, he, landings, then it will definitely be, be going down that, well, he's, that he's, route. Well, he's next to me saying all this stuff into my ear, pouring po- poison in my ear, and I hate the game now. Having, I hate the, having the effect. Yeah. I, I always try to remind myself constantly with referees that the very few seasons, trophies, longer term, bigger picture goals that are decided by 
refereeing decisions. I think that's particularly true of league positions. You could go back through the season easily and look at instances. And I do think, I have felt this year particularly like Leeds have not had particular rub of the green from VAR. But then again, I don't sit looking at the contentious decisions that haven't gone for Fulham or Brentford and, and talk them up in the same way. So who who really is to is to say? It's hard to deny that referees are quite often a good way of deflecting from the failure of coaches and players. That will always be the case in football. But at the same time, I think the problem with VAR is that what it was sold to do, it hasn't done well enough. It's probably fair to say. It's created the horrible mid-level penalty as well where if it's given it won't be overturned and if it's not given it won't be overturned but so in some in some worlds it is a penalty and in some worlds it isn't it depends how the referee has seen it at the time and how picky the person of VAR has been but actually I don't know it's like the Rodrigo one on the weekend where you can see you've seen him given you've seen yeah. him not given you can argue that there's not enough there for it to be a penalty you can say there are a dozen penalties given this season with less contact than that they're the best ones to let go though I think you know they're the best ones to just say well you know, what What can you do, really? It's when um, you've got a bank, though, of other penalties given this season that you can look at from a dozen angles in slow motion and go, well, this one, this one, this one, yeah, this one, and this one yeah. were given, and this one wasn't, so why? And and it's uh, fair enough to say that, I think. I wonder if, given the time again, when they were selling VAR and advertising it and promoting it before it came in, they might have said to people, listen, th- don't think this is a silver bullet, don't think <laughs> this is going to solve everything, don't think this is going to get everything right, because I do think the game sort of fell into the trap of thinking now we've got VAR, we're laughing. Well, Phil, you're heading up to Thorpe Arch from this to go um, speak to Javi Gracia. What are we going to find there? I mean, it's, it's, it says a lot, doesn't it, that we've kind of shifted to recording these ahead of the press conference, often for timing reasons, but he's been a lot more guarded about what's going on yeah, for the running, which, yeah. is, which is interesting in itself, isn't it? It is, it is. It's definitely been deliberate. He said right from the very outset, I don't want to talk about injured players or not talk about them any more than he strictly has to there are some questions about them that you can't avoid you know and and Adams will be one today where he's he'll have to give a little bit of clarity I think to to where he's at and and what's gone on with him but I don't think you'll get a a timeline breakdown of, of when they think he'll return to give Gracia his due I think he's just trying to go about everything quietly isn't he he's just trying to crack on with it he's getting into the coaching he's he's getting into the job as quickly as he can I think he's done okay so far I do I, someone said to me I thought it's a really good point that one of the issues and again I don't, I don't want to sound like a you know a criticism of Marsh but one of the, the, the things about the reaction of the crowd to Saturday's game you know the, the almost the confusion and the, the unrest about the low block and the refusal to kind of press and press and press with Brighton was that Perhaps people are having to get used to seeing a range of tactics. Again, you know, having to get used to seeing different tactical models and games that don't just play out exactly as you expect them to. You know, games that, that almost surprise you. And I asked Gracia afterwards on, on Saturday after the Brighton game, how does this compare to other games when you have when it comes to preparing a plan and being, being clued in for what you have to do? And he said it's really difficult because of the way they play. You... You know, it's not that you don't plan for every team, but you have to think very, very clearly about what they do and how you negate that. And and if you don't get it right, they will absolutely murder you. And you saw that on, on Saturday, that that team, if it cuts loose, could do you in quite easily if you're naive or if you, you know, you try and take liberties with them. I think that was the difference when we were referring back to Reading on the Yap Stam. 
Reading, it was substance over style, really, wasn't it? it they they won a lot of games. They were good under Stam, the um, competitive team. But it, it, I don't know if it'd be fair to say that they ground games out, but it wasn't flamboyant and it wasn't a, a, a world of flair with them. Whereas with Brighton, they have the, you know, the strict passing mode at the back, the really patient passing mode. But when they go at you, they really can slice you up, no problem, and, and score some some lovely goals. So it seems to me that he's taken very seriously since he's come in, Gracia, the idea that he can't just be throwing players onto the pitch and saying, right, just you know, get some points, win some games. That There does have to be a lot of thought going into this. And given how little time he has, he's got the international break coming up, players will go away inevitably, but you know, it gives him a, a first chance to properly draw breath. But given how little time he has actually had, I, I think the tactical nuance we've seen has been pretty encouraging. Problem is, it is virtually now at the point where it is results and nothing else. And what will the weekend bring? Um, we've been straying away from making predictions this season when it comes to, to Leeds United because madness that way lies. But it is kind of do or die time, isn't it? Particularly with Arsenal the week after. Uh, is this, a, again, I'll, I'll pose a question we've asked before, is this a must win or a must not lose I think it's a must definitely stay in touch. It, it's almost a bit pointless saying this because as as we go on, every game is going to take on more and more significance and, and be significant in its own way. But this feels as if it could dictate a fair amount this match because of the fact that it is Arsenal on the other side of, of the international break. And it's difficult to make any argument for Leeds getting much stroke anything at Arsenal. I think that is a game they'll lose. So... Because the 19th, and you know, it's, it's not as if they're cut adrift at the moment, but because the 19th, were they to take nothing from Molyneux and then to lose against Arsenal, there is the risk that space opens up, a gap opens up, and suddenly, even though you then have what you would call quite enticing games against Forest and Palace, winnable games, the pressure on them is hiked up massively because you just have no breathing space. Um, and on the contrary, you've got ground that you need to cover very, very quickly. So I think in order to limit the pressure that comes on to Grassi's squad, they, they, they've got to get something from this. I feel like they need to win it. I suppose what we need depends largely on what other people get as well because last weekend, the point against Brighton was a decent result. I think most people would have taken it, but because Bournemouth had won, everyone went, oh God. And then Southampton mm-hmm. got a point at Old Trafford that wasn't expected and everyone was in depths of despair about it. But actually, if everyone loses... It's probably not well, a bad week. It just tick, it just kicks everything on for to to getting a bit closer to those those more winnable games against against Forest and Palace. In trying to manage the stress this year, I'm trying to distill this down into more simple concepts, just for the sake of my own brain. Nobody else's really. And what I mentioned a little bit earlier on is that we've won the fewest amount of games in the division. If you put us on six wins alongside a bunch of other teams in the bottom half, then suddenly it looks a lot healthier, doesn't it? That's the way I view it is that win this and you do yourself a massive, massive favour. So let's just do that. Interestingly as well, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think any of the nine sides at the bottom are playing each other this weekend. So it's not going to be a case of somebody has to pick up points. You've got Palace away at Arsenal, and I don't think I'm tempted to too much by saying that's probably not going to go great for them. You've got Everton at Chelsea. In fact... There are two are playing each other. That's Leeds, Leeds and Leeds. Leeds. And what yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Phil, I thought but you were the, joking yeah. then. No, sorry, but uh, amongst the others who are, are in there, you've got Spurs at Southampton, you've got Leicester away at Brentford, you've got Bournemouth away at Villa, and then on Friday night, you've got Forest at home to, to Newcastle. So although Wolves and Leeds are playing each other, nobody else down in the bottom nine is. So it's not to say that actually any of them will get 
any yeah. point. So you, you can't rely on all of them to lose, but it it might happen. You don't know for it's sure. Just a you? dangerous game relying on results. Well, that's that's why you've got really. to take care of your own business. Is, yeah. you? And yeah, so, yeah, if, so if you, with that in mind, if we are the only team, if this is a six pointer, if you're going to frame it as that, for God's sake, just go and win. Because all the other teams are likely, the majority of them are likely to drop some, this, if not all the points. This is how it started to go on the, the match day Q&As that we do, is that people would just go on it and, and post, just win the game. Just a nice, <laughs> just a nice yeah. calm regulation win like last season. No, no, they're not even bothered about calm and regulation. <laughs> it's just, just win. Well, <laughs> just I mean, this, win well, when I was asking the question before about is the Premier League any good, one thing I think it is good at, and I used the word competitive before, is that you could match any of these nine sides up against one another. And as we've seen in recent weeks, they can take points off each other. Yeah. So you, you're likely to get a very, very close game rather than one runaway winner. You do get an awful lot of tight matches, don't you, in the in the Premier League. So maybe that's maybe that's what we should expect from, from Wolves if it goes to form. You, you know, you never know what the chaos factor might introduce or what a, a crazy refereeing decision might, might do to influence a game. But... In essence, you know, is one goal going to win this? Because Wolves don't score a right lot. Could it be a 1-0 or a 2-1? It probably is, yeah. That's what it, it feels like is. to me. Um, three, three, two red card, Luke Ayling, yeah. injury time. That's what I'm saying. It, it does feel, you know, when we were talking the other week, Phil, about Leeds almost regressing to the mean and perhaps losing to teams like Chelsea. Uh, we dug a point out against Brighton, which now, you know, could potentially be a good point. Beat Southampton. If that's the case, then it's just one of those you kind of need this one just to fall the right side of the line. Just for once, doesn't it? Get that win it, on the board. It's quite a good early test of Gracia, this one. Southampton was just pick up the reins and do your best really albeit against a side who have been poor all season but he had very little time to to get his feet under the table for that one and then Chelsea was always going to be difficult Brighton really really good team Wolves you know again with a clear week full week to prepare this week I never straight a piece on this really I never know whether a full week to prepare is a thing you know everybody always says oh you've, you've had a full week this week as if that suddenly makes you a great side at the end of it. But it can't hurt, can it, having a, a bit more time. So, away to Wolves, difficult fixture, but against the sort of side that you have to be taking points from, this will be tactically an, another big test. And I don't even just think tactically, you know, in, in, in terms of what they, they try to do, tactically in terms of the lineup he goes for as well. I mean, as a, a, you would assume that it's going to have to be Rocco and McKinney, um in the midfield in the absence of Adams. The big question for me is probably, does he... Obviously, you have issues like does he start Rodrigo? Is Rodrigo fit enough to start? But does he bring Nonto back into the starting lineup? That yes. seems to yep. me to be Do the, it, the biggest question. And I'm with you. I think yes, that would be a good move. He's was, our best player. Yeah. So let's play our best player. And I <laughs> yeah. wonder if, you, if he's been saving him maybe for a game like this. You know, perhaps, perhaps. Um, and if Nonto was to hit a hot streak now, it would look pretty, actually, pretty clever. Um, giving him a little bit of a breather and, and getting a, you know getting fresh legs again. It's a big spell coming up this it really is as I say I think the Arsenal game let's call it a free hit or whatever although I don't know if you get free hits when you're in 19th but it's it looks like a bit of a write off that one just the way they're going but we've always got we've always got one in us surely surely there's one more to come (laughs) if I keep saying it eventually it's going to happen we haven't had one in us since Liverpool and Liverpool was like the the dawn of time wasn't it so there's yeah it's it's due let's let's say that are Wolves less boring now I was going to ask about about this yeah what does Lopetegui do with them because they were Awful to watch under under Bruno Lage. Yeah, they um they were, and although they were pretty ruthless with him, weren't they? They didn't mess about with that when it came to to sacking him. It's not as if they suddenly turned into this side who are destroying teams and you know taking teams to the cleaners. But they have turned in some really good wins. The one over um, Liverpool, particularly, um, was was pretty no- noticeable. They don't score huge numbers, and um, they don't take massive amounts of risks 
but they are drilled and tactically he seems pretty savvy to me good coach I thought it was a good appointment at the time I think it's going to work out for them as I said earlier I, I feel as if they're probably I don't think that they're going to cruise now to the finishing line but I think they'll get away with it yeah when I look through the Wolves comments on The Athletic it's interesting to get it just lets you take a temperature of what the fans think you know where do their anxieties manifest themselves and it's it's around the lacking of legs in midfield Jimenez looking isolated as a result of not dominating midfield which is actually where Adams might be a big miss in this one and the tendency of Lopetegui to do quite a lot of subs and, and uh, sort of tweaking to things that that often, like as we saw at Newcastle, leaves them a little bit, um, sometimes a little bit not sure what they should be doing. Yes, they'll have pace and width, opponents, um, Adama. They have this weird thing going on of the strikers just never scoring, ever. Um, I think I was reading the Steve Madeley piece, ML Wills writer was, was covering this and saying it's gone a year without strikers scoring a goal for them. But again, I, I go across their lineup, a lot of good players in it, like Neves. Moutinho, Jimenez, never sure about Adama to be perfectly honest, but Ponce is, is good. Not terrible defenders at the back either. They're, they should be quite a good 11 and I think he in comparison to Bruno Lage, um, and you know, Lage did good things with them for a while too, but this season I think has made them back into a more commendable 11 than, than they had been previously. I think they have good enough players in their squad to, to get out of this and I think they will. Will Leeds United though and will it start on Saturday? Well, what? it needs to start soon, doesn't it? It's another question we ask frequently, but what do Leeds United need to do in this game? Do we need to dominate possession or do we need to allow them to play out from the back? They seem to have struggled a little bit with that this season, playing out from the back. I wouldn't be surprised if um, if Gracia is a touch cautious in this one again or at least doesn't you know, put too great a weight on wanting to, to dominate from the outset. I think, again, we'll probably try to play the percentages and I wonder if you'll look at this a little bit like the Southampton game and thinking that it's going to have to be a scrap for a certain period of time. There's no way you wouldn't have thought that this can be a nice free-flowing game in which people are are writing home about it for years. Stick in it, and to use that phrase you use after Southampton, pick your moment. Do you wonder if if maybe that's why he's been holding Nonto back? So the plan is almost to go into these games to keep it tight for an hour and then try and nick it. And I know Brighton kind of got away from that script quite uh, significantly, but... Are they keeping him for that sort of explosive that's, impact? That's how it's on. felt yeah. a little bit to me. Yeah, Brighton was probably, as much as anything, wanting to make sure that the team was as solid as it could be. Um, and perhaps that was part of the motivation for leaving him out as well. But you must look at him as a coach always and think, if you've got him on the bench, then that's what you want from him, to come on and make an impact at the point where, where the game really needs to turn. I can definitely see that happening Saturday. I can see it being precisely that sort of fixture where with an hour gone, you're looking to both benches and thinking, okay, what you know, what are you going to do here? Which cards are you going to play? Well, that's what um, Lopetegui does. He's made five in every game, yes. bar in one. Yeah, um, he's he's very very big on subs and likes to likes to mix it up. So let's get the game won before he starts to mess around with it. Yeah, that's yeah, my that's my, that's my so, suggestion. Yeah, just go hell for leather. Shall I, well, when you go up to Thorpe Arch, just tell Grassi yeah. that's what I said. Yeah. So when you say get it won, do you, what you just getting a three 0 lead? Is that what you're saying? If they if they want to listen to my instructions, I would advise they do. Yeah, just yeah. go out there and win the, and get a three 0 lead. Yes, yeah. simple yeah. as that. Get it won. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. It's, good, it's great advice. I, I, I think the you know football should be boiled down to simple concepts. Yeah. So they don't get much more simple than that. All I'm asking you to do is score three without them scoring any. <laughs> well, it's a bit like the Ferguson thing, isn't it? That Keane always talks about going in and saying it's Spurs, and that's it. And they just walked out and they and they won the game. That's what you should do. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Do we fancy leads in this one? 
Again, we're straight into predictions territory. You never do, Michael. I don't. I don't not fancy them, but um, that's about as much as you can say in a game like this. Yeah, I fall. I just fall back on the position I adopted earlier, which is like in that bottom nine. It's stupid to predict. It could go either way, couldn't it? Yeah, I'll tell you afterwards if that's all right. <laughs> I'll tell you afterwards if we got into the unassailable three 0 lead <laughs> before the hour mark. That's it's been a do. while, hasn't it? It has been a while. It has been a while. I don't know. There's something about the uh, the grassier side that I just I quite like. I like I like his quiet demeanour. Yeah. It gives off an air of, not confidence, but I know what I'm doing, or at least I know what I want to do. I think his pragmatism has definitely been called for, and it's been it's been right so far, but it's not a hill you want to die on. You know, if you, if you are in trouble and you need wins, then at some point you've got to go for broke a little bit, haven't you? Just an interesting place to finish then on that is that we've we exchanged messages around the Brighton game, didn't we? Just talking about whether you wonder if Leeds fans could ever love this long-term, the pragmatism. It's probably exactly what we needed this season. Yeah. Rather than this sort of the hipster Red Bull project that we got delivered. Yeah. But Leeds fans would probably be hating it if we were pragmatic every week, isn't it? It's funny how, how hard it is to satisfy football fans on the basis of what's gone before. What Gracia might say, though, is that he's been as pra- pragmatic as he has to be, given what he's inherited and, and given the, the situation in the league. And that once you get into the summer and you can sign some of your own players and you can um, actually plan properly for a, a full season, then things might change slightly. And, and I always go back to... Watford and what was said about him there and, and the difficulty really in finding anybody who was particularly critical of him. You know, most people seem to like him or admire him to some degree. Most people seem to think he was pretty unfairly treated when he was sacked. It's encouraging really and I haven't not been encouraged by what he's been doing. I'm just very aware of the fact that there's always a risk when you're 19th of wittering on about how encouraged you are by, about the tactics as you go down. Yeah, I was going to say, and then ended up in the EFL. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's not to say we'll get out of it. I've given myself over to the idea now that, you know, it's probably going to go till very, very late in the season. Goal difference, as I touched on earlier, could be a factor. It may come down to the toss of a coin almost or a shootout on the final day. So be it. I'm here well, for if it. You, if you go around eight other club podcasts at the moment, you'll probably be hearing the same conversation. Very small sample size for his games as well. I've been fairly encouraged by it to this point, but we're still at the in the territory where a couple of bad performances you go, I don't think he knows what he's doing. Yes, or, I agree. on the flip side of it, a win on Saturday yeah. and you go, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, as I was saying before, let's just do that. But I would, I would say it again, <laughs> if it doesn't work out, pinning it to him would be incredibly mm. unfair. Oh God, I don't, it wouldn't be, would it? You know. No, wouldn't be at all. Well, thank you, gentlemen. A very enlightening conversation. Enjoyed that one. You and I feel back on Monday for the final Monday show in its current iteration and um, and we will uh, we'll speak to you then. At the Phil Hayes Show on Twitter, theathletic.com forward slash leads pod if you want to sign up and read. We'll speak to you soon. The Phil Hayes Show.